We're very thankful today to be joined by Scott Christ from the U.S. Forest Service. Scott, thank you so much for your time. Hi, you're quite welcome. So let's learn a little bit about you. What is your title with the U.S. Forest Service? I'm a fire management officer stationed here on the Shawnee National Forest. And how long have you been in that position? Uh, I've been in this position since uh, 2016. Uh, I've been on the Shawnee since uh, the fall of 2003, though. Are you originally from southern Illinois? No, I'm originally from central Illinois, uh, from Decatur, to be exact. Did you go to uh, SIU to get your forestry degree? Uh, No, I I went to the University of Illinois. I didn't actually study forestry uh, as an undergrad. I did do some, uh, some, some graduate studies at SIU once I got to southern Illinois, uh, but I didn't complete it. One of the things that we're visiting with you about today is the fact that there is a intentional burn or a controlled burn going on uh, near Buttermilk Hill. This is the time of the year when we see these sorts of things happening. First question for you, uh, what is the purpose of having these controlled burns in the Shawnee National Forest? This particular burn, uh, the primary objective is about managing the timber stand uh, or stands that are on that unit. Uh, And and a lot of our burns uh, are are done for that reason. Um, But there are many other reasons to burn. Uh, We sometimes burn to knock back certain invasive plants, uh, or sometimes it may be to benefit uh, certain wildlife species or, or a suite of species that use uh, burned habitats or that like the habitat modification that happens when you burn an area. And, and the reason for that is most of our environments, they kind of evolved with frequent fire. So most everything kind of needs fire if we wanted to retain what we used to have. And also looking forward, uh, oaks in particular, which are a, a very fire adapted species, Uh, are predicted to do better in a future climate. So we want to retain oaks on the landscape, um, you know, for the time being. However, they don't do that well in the shade. So um, we are burning because they're fire tolerant. And the more we apply fire, the more we favor fire adapted species like oaks um, so that we are kind of preparing ourselves for the future as far as that goes. And then oak management is really important because oaks support uh, a huge variety of wildlife species. Um, Acorns are really highly valued for many species, both game species, you know, think deer, turkeys, things like that, Um, but also some non-game species. Uh, Even the amount of invertebrates, insects, caterpillars, whatnot, uh, are thought to be higher in an oak forest than in a, a similar native forest. How are these fires set, and who sets them? So for the Forest Service, it's our uh, our employees who do it, but there are people that do prescribed fires, or, or some people call them controlled burns, uh, from all, all agencies and organ- many organizations, and, and many private landowners do it as well. Uh, so in this case, we, we do some environmental analysis. We write a burn plan, which details... 
uh, the objectives of the burn, how we would do it, how we would keep the firefighters and the public safe uh, as we do it, what are the you know backup plans, contingency planning we would do, cover the gamut of things. Um, for our personnel, uh, we have a, a, it's a fairly extensive planning process and it also requires fairly extensive experience to write, approve, or lead one of these burns. And so uh, the burn boss today, for instance, he's been with us for, oh, he's been on this force for probably seven or eight years, and he probably has close to 20 years of experience uh, as a primary you know, full-time firefighter, for instance. And, and most of the leadership on that burn will, will have something similar. I have seen this happen once, and it was purely accidental. Oftentimes, I like to walk around the dam area at Kincaid Lake and near the spillway there, and it's probably been 10 years ago, and I had uh, taken a a walk one morning, and I had found a um, place that was just sunny, and I had just sat down for a moment to rest and take in what was a nice view of Kincaid Lake, and uh, I heard a large number of people coming my way and um, when I turned around and looked it was obviously people from the Forest Service who were carrying equipment to do a uh, controlled burn and they marched past me I didn't get up and get their attention and they headed on where they were going but I I noticed that they had sort of canisters in their hands and they sort of drop um I don't want to say like a large eyedropper, but I don't know how else to describe it. When they're actually setting these fires, they use something that drops little incendiary things uh, as they go. Can you talk any about the specific process that's used? Because it's it's not just heading out into the woods with a box of kitchen matches. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so the device you're referring to is called a drip torch, and it carries about a gallon and a half worth of fuel, and we use a mixture of diesel and gasoline. Um, and and so what it does is it, it holds the fuel inside the canister. It has a spout and a wick, and uh, to prevent um, oxygen going back into the tank and, and having fire going back into the tank, it, it's got um, essentially a lockout uh, procedure with a, a curly cue in the spout. But what we do is we'll light a little bit um, of the leaves on fire, and then when we you dip the can, a little bit of that fuel goes over the wick, uh, which makes it flammable. Once you get that hot, then you can just drop little bits of fuel over that wick as you walk, and it'll drop um, a little bit of flaming uh, diesel um, as often as you want to tip it down. So you can control the amount of fire you apply and, and thereby control the fire behavior you get, which can also have an impact on the effects you'll get to the vegetation or, or to the fuel that's in the um, in the forest stand there. And why is this the right time of the year to conduct these uh, prescribed burns? Because it it always seems to happen late February to early mid March. Right. So certain times of the year, the land's just not flammable. So if you think, you know, most May and June's 
it's very humid. The land is very green and vibrant. And uh, it's just not, the land's not going to be receptive to fire unless you're in an extreme drought. And during extreme drought times, then you can have a greater impact uh, and maybe too much of an impact on the vegetation. So you're not going to see a lot of burning in those months. There's also concerns about the impacts you might have to sensitive plants or animals by burning, uh, in, especially in the uh, in the growing season, in the, in the early summer months. Um, but there are, uh, you will see some burning late summer and fall, and you know, most of the reports of Native American burning in this part of the world, uh, that's, that's typically when they burned. They burned in the in the summer, in the fall. There is some spring burning and winter burning that's, that shows up in the record. And when we look at um, tree rings, for instance, and sometimes you can tell whether the fire that scarred that tree happened in the growing season or the dormant season, and, and sometimes even if it happened early in the dormant season or growing season or late. Uh, so essentially, there, there used to be fire most of the year. Um, However, these days we think about a lot more things than just when will it burn. We think about the impacts to users. We think about uh, the impacts from smoke and, and is that going to combine with other impacts. So think in the fall, uh, hunting season is a big use on the forest. So we're not gonna burn during shotgun season, for instance, um, just because there's a lot of, of users and we'd disrupt their, uh, their hunt if we were to do it then. Uh, in winter and, and in late fall, we have really short days, sometimes cold nights, and, and those conditions can lead to smoke laying lower in the valleys overnight than we want. So uh, while we will burn at that time, we, we make sure that we have good dispersion overnight. Um, also, there's uh, a lot of harvest going on in the fall, which kicks up a lot of dust. So there's particular matter in the air already. So we take that into account as we're planning whether to burn and uh, trying to figure out what the impacts of our actions would be when combined with other actions. Uh, and so what it means is spring is when we do most of our burning because it's when we have the least amount of impacts. And we also tend to have more reliable conditions uh, to get the fire behavior we want in spring. Uh, the fires wouldn't be as severe as if we were doing them in um, during a, a drought in July or August. Um, and yet we get enough intensity to achieve the effects we want that we don't always get, um, you know, just after a rain or when it's really cold or something like that. Now there are, uh, it's a long answer, but there are condi times when, you know, we actually have good conditions in January or December or um, in August or something like that. And we'll, we'll do some smaller scale burning at that time of year as well. Scott Christ is with us from the U.S. Forest Service talking about the prescribed burns that go on in the Shawnee National Forest this time of year. One way that people can keep up with the prescribed burns that are happening is via the uh, U.S. Forest Service Shawnee National Forest Facebook page. I know that the activities that you're engaging in are posted there because obviously you want the public to know when you're doing this so that uh, as few alarm bells are raised with residents who see smoke rising up in the distance as, uh, as possible. And I think that at this point, people have become somewhat adjusted to it. And when you see that uh, haze on the horizon, a lot of people just presume it is a prescribed burn going on. Yeah, that's right. 
you know, we try to notify the public to the greatest extent possible, and we use a variety of methods to do that. Uh, we will send letters to landowners who have land next to our burns uh, to alert them that, you know, when we get the right weather sometime in the next few months, we'll do it. Uh, we'll also post on social media, as you mentioned, uh, sometimes through traditional media. Uh, we'll post road signs and, and um, we'll post little flyers at trailheads and things uh, if it's going to be near an area that we're going to burn. And, and we really aren't, we're, we're trying to not surprise people with it. One last question for you. The Bald Knob Cross of Peace is located in a place that was originally a lookout station for the Forest Service before the cross was built there. And that always reminds me that at some point in time, I suppose, there was a fear for broader forest fires to break out in this region. We see from time to time large, you know, thousands of acres in California, uh, catching fire and burning, and it becomes national news. I've never thought of that as being a potential here in the Shawnee National Forest, even though it is a large area of the world that is uh, is forest. So is it just the environmental conditions in southern Illinois are not conducive to the wildfires that we see, like in California? Well, that's part of it. Uh, certainly the the vegetation we have here doesn't support the kind of fire behavior they see there. We also don't have kind of the mountainous terrain that's as hard to access. Now we have some difficult areas to access, but not like they do. Um, another thing to consider is when the land is most flammable. So most of our fires occur in fall and spring when the temperatures are a little bit more moderated. Um, so burning conditions quite, aren't quite as bad. Uh, but we do have wildfires uh, every year in southern Illinois, so it, it's not something we can never think about. Uh, and you're right, not only at, at Bald Knob, but all throughout the Shawnee, we had a network of lookout towers, as well as on some state land um, and, and other lands, because in the early days of the Shawnee, wildfire was a much bigger concern than prescribed fire. And... Uh, since the forest was formed and we got pretty good at putting out fires, the number of fires and the acreage covered by wildfires decreased dramatically uh, all through the 20th century. Um, However, one of the things we've learned is without fire on the landscape, the landscape changed and is changing. And what is happening is trees that are less adapted to fire have been filling in and that's changing the leaf litter that that they produce, which is mostly what carries our fire, what the fire burns through. Uh, it also has shaded it out enough to where we have less grass, and, and grass is more flammable than leaf litter. Uh, so we have made the land less flammable by having less fire. Uh, the other thing we've done is we've built fire stations and roads and 911 systems. We are really good at identifying, spotting, and responding to fires uh, in Southern Illinois, especially compared to where we were 80 years ago. And so uh, this along with messages, like we really still want to prevent forest fires. So, you know, Smokey's message is still valid. Um, We just also realize the need for fire uh, certain places and certain times. So it's more of a nuanced approach that we have today. And that's why 
you know, my title as fire management officer is that we're both managing the unintended fire, i.e. a wildfire, as well as the intended fire that we want on the landscape to achieve that effect to vegetation or to reduce fuels and fire risk to communities, which is our controlled burns. Scott Christ has been our guest today, and we really appreciate his time. A great conversation about these prescribed burns or controlled burns throughout the Shawnee National Forest. Again, uh, there is a burn going to be happening at the uh, Buttermilk Hill area. Uh, Scott, just for the record, give us the details on the when and where that is going to uh, begin and end. Okay. Well, it's occurring right now, uh, and it is just west of the Buttermilk Hill Road and just north of Route 3, State Highway 3 there. It's about, I want to say, 8 to 10 miles west of Murfreesboro. Uh, They started uh, the test fire around 11 o'clock, and they've got it mostly completed. They're still burning out the interior, Um, but it's mostly done at this point. It was about 95 acres, or it will be when they're done. Um, And the smoke... uh, predicted to go northeast so kind of across the lake basin uh, in, in a couple hours we're going to see the wind shift around uh, to the northwest and then to the north this evening so if there is any lingering smoke it might start to drift the other way uh, but being a small burn unit and the fuels are fairly moist with all the rain we've had recently we're not expecting there to be a lot of smoke put up to begin with and and very little once the ignition is complete which should be occurring um, pretty much as we speak. Scott Christ has been our guest. Scott, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure.